We're up to Article 4 of the Westminster Confession of Faith. And I must say, uh, as you go for the articles, it's like drinking pure cordial. It's very, very uh, uh, deep and concentrated. And uh, they cover a whole lot of uh, aspects. So this morning, we're looking at the issue of creation. And then uh, secondly, we look at the issue of the creation of humans. What uh, impact do those two things have? Now, it's interesting. In our modern society, many people believe that there's a massive uh, science debate between evolution versus creationism. But the interesting thing is that uh, for many countries, it's not a science debate. It's a philosophy debate. Because the issue is not the facts. The facts is not what people are discussing. What they are discussing is, does our world, was it made by chance? Or was our world made by purpose or order? So do we live with or without purpose? Do we have a, a universe that has a direction? Or is our universe just spinning out of control? So people may uh, look at uh, different facts in science to prove their points. But what we share is really uh, our ideas of theories and thoughts and ideas. And then we try and find facts that will back up our different views. Now it's interesting, when Charles Darwin uh, first wrote uh, On the Origin, now this is the full title of the book, What's an Origin of the Species? On the Origin of the Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favoured Races in the Struggle for Life in 1859. So that book there with the uh, Black Lives Matter stuff, you're thinking that would be considered an offensive title to say that you're after preserving the favoured races. Who, of course, were the favoured races? English people. Right, his main issue was uh, to try and work out to answer one key question. Why do animals of the same species not all look alike? Why can mum and dad have a kid that's not the same as them? That was, that was his core thing that he tried to uh, work out the answer to back in 1859. And of course, when did the answer to that question come? A couple of years later, when uh, Gregor Mendel in 1866 showed that we basically had genes that determined why we are not the same. Now, oddly enough, the term gene that we uh, think is a standard word was not actually invented by, uh, until 1909. So two scientists can look at the exact same fact and one says this is by purpose and the other will say this is by chance. If our world has no purpose and no direction, then you and I, as humans, therefore have no purpose and no direction. If our world is one of chaos, then our world has no universal values. So we cannot say there is an ultimate right or wrong to any question. So as you said, the evolution thing that starts off as a science discovery becomes a philosophical thing that then uh, realigns our whole thinking about everything else that we do. So we cannot answer one simple question. The question is, what is right? Because there's no right, there's no wrong, there's no absolutes. And so when the Confession was written, this was not uh, considered a, a philosophical issue at the time. For them, the key issue is that God is creator, and therefore God is in control. So let's now explore what they meant for uh, their view of creation. So uh, in their first section, which is I've titled Our World, 
is that it pleased God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What was it pleasing them? That they created the universe. So there was a sense of direct uh, link between creator and creation. Now, when you look at the ancient Near World, uh, in the time when uh, Genesis was written, their view was, yeah, there's gods out there making stuff, but there's all these steps in between to creation. And the gods have no interest in us, have no interest in creation. You've really got to go to great uh, attention to trying and capture their interest in you, which is why you'd have sacrifices and you'd have festivals and stuff like that in other world religions. For us as Christians, God sees us as the pinnacle of his creation. So what do the scriptures teach us? Hebrews 1 verse 2. In these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. Who's his son? Jesus. Now, what did he do to Jesus? He appointed him heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. God and created are directly, intimately linked. And part of Jesus' purpose before coming to earth was to be a creator of what was made. So it says, through whom he also created the world. Even when we go back to Genesis, very first chapter, it says, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the earth. And there's got God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit doing? The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. There's this intimacy. Creation and creator are linked together. The beginning of John's Gospel, John chapter 1, says, Jesus was in the beginning, was God, and with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So every aspect of creation has God's fingerprint on it. Nothing we have is godless. In the book of Job, the oldest book in the, uh, the Bible, says the Spirit of God has made me. Now, uh, spirit and breath are the same word in Hebrew. So it says the Spirit of God has made me. And the breath of the Almighty gave me life. There's intimacy between creator and creation, creator and us. God is interested in who you are. So please God the Father and God the Son for the manifestation of their glory, for his eternal power, wisdom and goodness. So what does creation say about God? So we go to the book of Romans chapter 1, it says this. Talking about God, it says his invisible attributes, namely eternal power, divine nature, can clearly be perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that has been made. So when you and I look outside, we say, look how big our universe is. Look how powerful it is. And uh, when they start inventing telescopes, before telescopes, you as an uh, astronomer would be very uh, precise to say, I know all 6,000 stars in the sky. Look how good I am. The, the weakest first telescope was pathetic. It's like a $10 one you'd buy uh, in a kiddie store today. And Satan says, there's not 6,000 stars, there's 40,000 stars. And a year or two later, there's 80,000 stars. <clears throat> Eventually, after decades, there's a million stars. But think, look at that. <clears throat> Who would ever thought there's a million stars up there? I wonder if, you, uh, if we started you counting today, could you count how many stars are in the sky before you die? No. Nor your children, your grandchildren or great-grandchildren. Matter of fact, if your family says, our purpose of our family is just to count, and as soon as they're old enough to start counting, we get them counting. 
you'd never be able to count the stars in the sky. And yet God is intimately involved in us and every part of his creation. So what's it say? His eternal power, his divine nature, his fingerprint is on everything that is made. I'm amazed. I love uh, going for my early morning swim. And I regularly, like this time of year, I'll go for a swim, get out of the water and then watch the sunrise. And I think to myself, every time I see sunrise, my first reaction is, this was made by God and there's an intimacy between me and God in the creation. Now, as it is, when we talk about evolution, let's uh, just look at this quote by Charles Darwin. He's talking about the eye. He says, To suppose that the eye could have been formed by natural selection seems, I'm freely confess, absurd in the highest degree. He could see the intimacy of the Creator making our universe. And he uses the example of the eye. However, I must say, a little bit later in the chapter, he says, Oh, yes, but we all know the eye was probably evolved, despite the fact that the evidence is that we have a Creator God. So, what does that say about God and creation? Jeremiah 10. It is he who made the earth by his power. He established the world by his wisdom. And by his understanding, he stretched out the heavens. Or in Psalm 104, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. And it's interesting, if you look at our modern science in the Western world, what really drove uh, science and scientists was their Christian faith. Their thought was, I want to discover the world that God has made. And so when you look at any science book, nearly every scientist in that book that, that uh, invented things were committed Christians. And it was their committed Christian faith that forced them and pushed them to become scientists. As a matter of fact, one of the main employers of scientists in the early days was the Roman Catholic Church. So people regularly get upset about Galileo. And you say, well, who was his boss? He says, that was the Catholic Church. They paid his wages. So it says in Psalm 33, He loves righteousness and justice, and the earth is full of his steadfast love. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth and all their host. Then the confession says, In the beginning, to create or make of nothing the world and all things therein, whether visible or invisible. So, angelic beings, our, us as humans, all of animals, all the stars, all the uh, uh, everything that is on planet Earth, made by God. So it says in Hebrews chapter 11, By faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that were visible. So God made out of nothing. And as our Bible reading said today in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, for by Jesus all things were created in heavens and earth, the visible and the invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. I used to love it when kids would come up to me and say, Oh, sir, what's the meaning of life? Because typically, you know, sir, what's the meaning of life is the beginning of a really funny joke. And uh, the answer is that nobody knows what the meaning of life is. And uh, as soon as the kids say, what's the meaning of life? Without a, it's like, grab my Bible and say, look at this verse here. All things were created 
through him and for him. The purpose of our life is to be in uh, contact under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And that's when our life will make sense. As it says in Acts 17, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. God cannot be put into a box. God is unlimited. So the very first section of what they wanted in this confession was to get very home that God is intimately involved in the universe that he has made. That brings us to the second question, where do we as humans fit in? So the second section of humanity says, after God had made all other creatures, he created man, male and female. So go back to Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on earth. You and I have been called to have great interest in what God has made. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, that you shall have them as food. And to every beast of the earth and every bird in heavens and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I've given every green plant for you. And it was so. That we have been created the head of all creation, but our role is one of manager that we should love the world we live in. I uh, have the privilege that uh, we have a farm in our family and I think we're up to about the sixth generation running that farm. They've uh, had it since uh, 1916, so it's uh, 104 years in the family tree and there's been dad, granddad, great-granddad, our grandkids, all on that farm. The farm that my father had uh, we sold it 60 years ago and I went to visit it to, uh, about a year or two ago. And the owner there, he's a very old man now, he's in his 80s, he said, my aim is that this farm will be in my family forever. There's this sense that you and I have been called to serve, to manage, to care for our universe. So therefore, you and I should be interested in things of ecology. We should be interested in things of uh, conservation. We should be interested in uh, preserving species. So what was it we made for? Genesis 2.7 Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the earth and breathed into his nostrils life. And the man became a living creature. And Ecclesiastes says, And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. You and I are physical and spiritual. There's part of us that identifies with monkeys. But there's another part of us that identifies with angels. We are both physical and spiritual beings. So uh, Matthew, Jesus warns, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Our soul, our spiritual beingness, is what makes us distinctive from all other animals. It was uh, great this week, I, um, at the beach uh, swimming, I uh, saw two whales in the distance. I thought, how beautiful whales are. But they are flesh, not soul. They're not spiritual. 
Our soul makes us unique in all of creation. And the confession says, We are endured with knowledge and righteousness and holy, our true holiness because we have been created after God's image. As I said there in Genesis 1, God said, Let us make man in our image, our likeness. Now, if you're a Mormon, you'd say God is five foot ten tall because he's in our image, because they totally miss the point. Us being in God's image is our spiritual reality. As it says in Colossians 3, that we are put on a new self which has been renewed in knowledge after the image of the Creator. So when we become Christians, what should our prayer be? May I be Christ-like. May I live a life like Jesus. May he not only be a model of how I should live, but may his life be reflected in how I live. So in Ephesians 4, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So as Christians, we should be hungering to be holy, to be godly, to be righteous. Now it goes on to say that we have the law of God written in our hearts. So every person has part of God touching who they very, that their very being is. Does it mean that they have a right understanding of everything? No. But every person has some sense of right or wrong. If you go to Long Bay Jail and you went into one of the prison cells and stole something from one of the prisoners, they would be upset with you. Why? Because even a prisoner in jail knows right from wrong. So what does the Romans tell us? For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or excuse them. What's it saying? Every person has some idea of right and wrong. However, every person's view of right and wrong has been distorted because they don't have God's word in their life. He goes on to say that they've been called to a life of fulfilment. Now back in Ecclesiastes 7, it says, See, this alone I found, that God has made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. In other words, God made us perfect, but we have sinned. And yet under a possibility of transgressing, be left to the liberty of their own will, are subject to change. What's the confession saying there? Our sinful nature will lead us astray. That is why we need to be closely holding on to God. So where did things go wrong? If we were made perfect, Adam and Eve were perfect in a perfect world in the Garden of Eden, why is it not like that today? So you go to Genesis 3. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and was a light to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit and ate it, despite being told no. And she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. So Ecclesiastes, reflecting on this, says, See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but have thought out, sought out many schemes. In other words, our sinfulness from Adam and Eve on is what has damaged our world, which is why Jesus had to come to redeem us. So when turn... Um, there to Genesis 2, it says, The tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. They did, and we now live with the consequences. The world was made perfect. We as humans were made perfect in the Garden of Eden. When we sinned, 
it damaged our relationship with creation, with God, with each other, and with our understanding of ourselves. So we were made in the image, and we were blessed. We were called to be fruitful. But we have now lost that because of our sinful nature. This is what Jesus came to restore. So in our New Testament reading that Phil gave us, Colossians 1.15, Talking about Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of the highest priority of all creation. For by him all things were created in heavens and earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And it says he is before all things and in him all things hold together. So when a person turns from a life of sin, comes back to Jesus and is restored, it's the start of us on a heavenly journey to make the world more like what it should be. Now, it's interesting. If you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, and I was having a good chat with my, a friend of mine yesterday because he read through it and thinking, I don't understand. There's so many things that don't make sense. And I said, there's two words, under the sun and then spirituality. And the first part of Ecclesiastes says, this is what it's like under the sun. This is the world without God. He talks about how he had explored fame. He chased after wealth. And he had wives. And I don't know if there's many people who have married, married as many times as Solomon had. He did a massive building project. He did job after job trying to somehow find purpose. And you think, I wonder if anyone is like that today. Are there people chasing money today? Are there people chasing girlfriend after girlfriend? Are there people thinking, let's try drugs to make me happy? Is this not our world, living under the sun? But he says, all is fleeting and all fails. And it's not till you get to the 12th chapter of Ecclesiastes after he said, these are all the things I've done and they all failed. And what's his advice? Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come. And the years draw near by which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. So what's he saying? When you're young, get it right with Jesus, get it right with God, because the longer you live, the harder it becomes to get things right. In chapter 12, verse 8, it says, Vanity, vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. Another translation says, useless, useless. All is useless. No matter how much money you have, it doesn't bring you happiness. No matter how many girlfriends you've ever had in your life, that is not our purpose. doesn't matter how many kids you have, kids alone is not what we were made for. And when we turn to chapter 12, verse 13, for the end of the matter is this, all has been heard. What should you do? One. Fear God to keep his commandments. And what are God's commandments in the New Testament? Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul and mind and love your neighbour as yourself. For this is the whole duty of man. So what is uh, this uh, article from the Confession saying? We as humans are the pinnacle of creation. And we were made to have fellowship with God. However, not based on how good we are, how wealthy we are, how successful we are, but our relationship with God solely is by his free gift of grace.
So in Ephesians 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the results of work, so that no one can boast. Because you and I are the workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand, that we may walk in them. So why was this article so crucial to the Presbyterian Church when they first put it together? Our world has been created by God. It was good. We were the pinnacle of his creation in the image of God. When we sinned, it led us astray. And it's not till Jesus comes and dies upon the cross that we're called back home. Not by our goodness, but by his mercy. So if we are to be Christians, we are to be people of mercy, people of love, people of holiness, people of righteousness. Our eyes need to be fixed on Jesus. Let's just close in prayer. Heavenly Father, it's exciting as we go through the Articles of Faith by the Westminster Confession writers. And these words here truly remind us of how important it is to love and serve you. Father God, our world has been created by you. It was created good and perfect in the first place. Our sin has damaged it, but Jesus has come to restore. Father, may we live a life of restoration, love and holiness as God has called us. Amen. Now we can all stand and... uh Come or mouth the words of Amazing Grace. Mm-hmm.